Sky Valley kind of classes up the place a little bit, don't they? You know what I mean? You know, harvest, uh, harvest Sunday, what, what, what does that mean, you know? I'm not sure we really know. I know what a harvest is. I know we're reaping one. I know we want to reap more of a harvest. But you know, harvest isn't always what we're supposed to be doing. It's not only that we receive a harvest in our life, in our business, in our friendships, but we have to process that harvest. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few minutes. We have to process, we have to do something with that harvest. And that in part is why the church exists, to do something with the harvest. What am I, what am I talking about? I'm talking about Ruth chapter three. If you're a romantic, if you have one romantic bone in your body, you'll love this beautiful nocturnal narrative of Ruth the Moabitess actually proposing to Boaz on the threshing room floor. Let me read it to you. What a scene this is. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, speaking to Ruth, shall I not seek security for you? They are all alone. They've lost two husbands and a son between the two of them. And Naomi, now bitter, has only her daughter-in-law. And they have the debt on their property, and they have no leadership in their family, and they're in trouble. My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Boaz is a little older than Ruth. And he said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. That's, that's uh, what a great response. Does that still happen today? Uh, just tell me what to do and I'm gonna go do it. Just exactly as you told me to do it, that's what I'm gonna do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. That's kind of a proposal. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned, turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Don't think for a second that he hadn't noticed her in the field, if you didn't know what I mean. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end of, than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer, closer than I. Stay this night in the morning. It shall be that if 
it, it, it will perform the duty of the close relative or a kinsman redeemer. He says, I'll do it if, if he doesn't want to. For you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. And as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another, still dark. And then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Threshing floor. What is a threshing floor? Threshing floor is um, usually an elevated part of a barn that is uh, when you open the windows or doors of the barn and the wind was to blow through the barn, the wind would blow over and through the threshing floor. According to uh, Prophet Samuel, there was actually a threshing floor on Mount Moriah, which is currently uh, the Dome of the Rock. It's also where Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac. A wind blows through a barn and over the threshing floor. When you bring in your harvest, you have to process your harvest. If the church brings in a harvest and doesn't process the harvest, the harvest gets rotten. We have to disciple one another. We have to be there for one another. We have to process what God brings to us as an increase. So on the threshing floor, the harvest is crushed or threshed, and the outer hard shell is broken, the chaff, so that the grain is exposed, and when thrown up into the wind, the chaff would blow out of the way, and you're left with what you wanted the whole time, the grain. This is something that has to be happening in the church in 2023. We don't want a harvest with a hard outer shell that can't even be eaten. We want a harvest that's processed. A harvest by which you throw it up and the wind of the Spirit blows through a person's life and separates and reveals what was there the whole time. It's for a lack of wind and a lack of threshing that we have a harvest that doesn't fulfill the legacy and the purpose for which it was intended. We have to process our harvest. There is a crushing involved. There is a breaking involved. The outer husk of our life, the hardness of our heart, the way we've always done things, the way we perceive ourselves, the, the low self-image that we might have of ourselves, it has to be broken, it has to be thrown and exposed to the wind of the Spirit. Not the wind of the Spirit coming over our hardened hearts and hardened minds, but the wind of the Spirit separating us from the Christ in us, the hope of glory. That he might be revealed and used in us to feed the nation. A nation, by the way, that is starving from a gospel famine and the absence of a threshing floor. 
The closest we get to a threshing floor in a spiritual sense is this moment right now in this place. If someone will share the word of God, will cast the bread upon the waters, will accurately divide the word of truth, it will thresh us. It will break some part of us that needs breaking. It will separate that from us when the spirit of God blows through your life. Are you open to the wind of the spirit separating from you that which needs to increase and that which needs to go to the landfill? The chaff. If this is the only discipleship you get, then I have no other choice but to amplify the threshing, to amplify the crushing. It is through the crushing and the threshing of the body and the spirit of Jesus Christ that we have the resurrection from the dead, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There must be some level of crushing, there must be some level of breaking in our lives. You cannot go to church for entertainment's sake. You cannot pick and choose who best entertains you or who's, who gives you the perception that you've been there the least amount of time. You have to go through this process as the harvest of Jesus Christ that he would increase in your life and you would decrease. The chaff has to go. John the Baptist put it this way, I have a winnowing fork in my hand. He incorporated the use of fire. What does this mean? What it means is the spirit of God is a consuming fire or a refining fire. Careful what you ask for. Oh Lord, fill me with your spirit. You might as well give them a written invitation to have authority over any and every area of your life and ask you to refine and burn up the chaff, burn up the impurities, bring them to the top. Get it off out of your life. Don't pray for the wind of the Spirit in your life if you're honest about actually wanting to be separated and have the revelation of Jesus Christ in what's left. I came up in Pentecostal circles. Pentecost which you don't have to write an abstract to me about, whether it's for today or not. I've already experienced it multiple times. You don't need to write and convince me whether it's for today or not. You don't have to write me and tell me whether God still heals. I already know that. I've already experienced that. But the Pentecostal takes the baptism of the Holy Spirit and makes a notch on their belt and something they can walk around with and talk about it. It happened in the 70s. God wants to do that on a daily basis. He wants to blow through your life continually. Be thou filled continually with the Holy Spirit that this outer shell has just been disposed of, that the wind of the Spirit is so evident in your life because you're half of what you used to be or twice as much as you ever thought you could be in Christ. That's what we're looking for. Now, more and more and more, for whatever reason I don't understand, the church isn't willing to thresh the congregation. And I'm not sure it's a good marketing plan to say we are, but there's nothing wrong with preaching the word of God. Let it be the rock, or the hammer that breaks the rock. We got too many rocks we're trying to glaze over and pretty up and paint and decorate. We need rocks crushed by the hammer of the word of God. We need, our, we need ourselves crushed. The old man needs to be crushed. 
The old man needs to be broken. We can't have the old man in charge of our life. It's not appetizing, it's boring, it's repetitive, it's predictable. I want unpredictable, I want an adventure. I want the breaking of the outer shell of Gary Ewens, so what's left is some good, solid grain, all the rest of it's been blown out. That's what you asked for. Lord, thresh me, refine me, bring that consuming fire in my life, burn up that chaff. I don't wanna keep hearing my faults, I don't wanna keep hearing my shortcomings in my own head. I want them burned up. I want them blown out. I want newness each and every day. You take a nation where the church doesn't process the harvest, and you got a church that's almost indistinguishable from the world. Indistinguishable. Sounds the same, looks the same, complains the same, rants the same. No, we need to be broken. Thy word is a rock, or a hammer that breaks the rock. It's a mindset you might have. It's, a, it's an attitude you might have. It's a prejudice you might have. I don't know what it is, but if it needs to be broken, it needs to be broken. The threshing floor is a place of security. All Boaz is trying to do is put this young woman in a place of emotional, financial, and practical security. That's all he's trying to do. That's all God's trying to do when you come to church. He's trying to do something in and through you to put you at a place of security. I'm secure in him. I'm secure in my calling. I'm secure in my marriage. I'm secure as a parent. My life isn't falling apart. It's not tossed by every wave of the sea. It's secure. It has weight to it. It's not fleeting, it's not impulsive, it's, it's secure, it's, it's, it's lined up with the chief cornerstone. Security. Second thing you see here in this passage is that the threshing floor is a place, I'm gonna have to use the word, I'm sorry, obedience. Jesus says you'll obey me because you love me. Stop singing the songs about how much you love him if you're not willing to obey him. She says, I'll do all that you say to me, I will do. And she did according to all that her mother-in-law had instructed her. I think this right here, this right here could solve so many problems in so many people's lives. What's going on? Uh, Same old problem. What are you doing about it? Nothing. That's like, I went, last, I went to the doctor a year ago. My cholesterol was 459. And I'm getting another checkup next month. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be 459. Well, how do you know? Well, I really haven't changed anything. I haven't done anything different. Why would it be any lower? I pretty much don't do what I'm told. Well, I don't do what I'm told and I reap the consequences of it. Listen, at the threshing floor, if you do what you're told, exactly what you're told to do, you don't have the same problems. You have smaller problems, you have better problems, you have different, more interesting problems. The threshing floor is a place of obedience. It's a place of honesty. 
In today's context, Boaz, knowing that there was a kinsman redeemer in front of him, having already done the 23andMe, or have already done the genealogical discovery online, knew that there was some kinsman redeemer closer in the bloodline to her. Nowadays, you would deny that and just bypass it and say, no, I'm next. He didn't, he was honest. Threshing floor is a place of choosing. She chose him and he chose her. They both chose the Lord. The threshing floor, which is basically this sanctuary, my friend. Because the truth of the matter is, most of us, most of us, don't receive much more discipleship than a Sunday morning. That's not true of all of us, but a lot of us. And I, and I say us, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about the nation. Most people go to church about 2.3 times a month. That's their discipleship, okay? I'm not judging it. Well, actually, I am. That's not gonna get it done. It's not what it's intended to be. But if that's what it's gonna be, then this is gonna be the threshing floor for you. And I want you to look at it as such. I want you to come expecting that this is a place of obedience, expecting that this is a place of respect for one another, expecting that this is a place of promise, a place of covenant, a place of liberation. That's exactly what was taking place in that little nocturnal narrative there between those two people. He was honest, she was virtuous, she was obedient. He was blown away by her compliment He honored honestly what he said he was gonna do. He did what he said he was gonna do. His yes was yes, his no was no. He followed the law. He looked out and tried to protect her. She kept security for her. He championed her, he looked after her, he kept her safe, kept her reputation safe. He did what a man of God is supposed to do to a woman. Look out for her and love her and make her feel safe, special, and secure. That's what he did. It was a place of refining. It was a place of presenting oneself to the presence of God. This is so heavy on my heart lately. Listen, this this will change your life right here. Live each and every day, and I mean it, but one day at a time, live each and every day, expecting looking for, expecting to encounter God. To encounter his voice, his leading, his conviction, his joy, a lesson from him, anything. I'm not talking about indirectly, I'm talking about directly. Expect to encounter God. Present yourself in the presence of God to him and say, this is the day you've made. I know you exist. I'm not looking for indirect, indirect, indirect counsel from you. I'm grateful for it. But by day's end, will you have actually dropped something into my heart, put something into my mind as you, my best friend? I want you to directly communicate with me on some level through your word, through worship, through your presence, through something, at least one thing a day directly. And each and every day you get up and start to live, you're wondering when that's gonna happen. You're trusting that's gonna happen. You have an intimacy with him that he won't forego. 
for he created you to enjoy it with him. Are you longing for, even in every aspect of your life, I'm talking about on the golf course, in a conference room, on a Zoom call, are you looking to encounter some aspect of your loving, unconditional loving God? Through nature, through something, something downloaded, something rising up from within you. Practice this each and every day. Lord, I want to encounter you in some way. Give me access by the blood of the Lamb, Father, to something of you and no one else. Something so you, it could not even be compared to anyone else. It could not be mistaken for anyone else, and nor do I need anybody to confirm it. You, Lord, by the power of the blood of Christ, Father, I come to you and say, I want to access and encounter you today, even on a minuscule level, for minuscule with you is huge. Huge. Four things happen on that floor. Take, bless, break, and give. Let me take your maidservant under your wing. God wants to take something from you today. I know he's a giver, but you gotta give him space to be a taker. It's impossible for him to be himself, be true to the essence of his nature in accordance with his will and not be a taker. He has to be a taker. There's only so much room in your life. He has to take something out to put something in. There's only so much room in your schedule. Something has to be taken out for him to get time in. We want so bad for him to be a giver. Would you just let him be a taker? Don't pray this unless you mean it. It's the most, one of the most dangerous prayers you could pray. Lord, take from me anything and anyone that come between you and me. Oh, it gets worse. Take from me anything, anyone, and any dream, any aspiration, any longing I have, any appetite I have, any lust I have. Take anything that is between you and me from me out of me. You'll get nearer to him. Don't worry about that. He's a taker, and he'll take you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And you want him to. Let him be a taker. He's a blesser. Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Take these six ephahs of barley and don't ever let it be said that you and I spent time together where you didn't leave that encounter richer than when you started. Don't ever let it be said that an interaction with me didn't add something to you of some kind, could be a compliment, a word of encouragement, six ephahs of barley. But don't ever let it be said that you and I encountered one another and you left that encounter more empty than you started. And I'll say the same of you. He's a blesser. And he's a breaker. Both of them were surprised that the other 
showed an interest in them. If I could correct one thing about errant Christianity, it would be this. Most people think on some level that God is not a taker and he wants to break you so that he can bless you. Sorry, doesn't work that way. He wants to bless you so he can break you. Any person who has an honest assessment of who they truly are and truly are not knows that the abundant blessing of God is unmerited favor upon you. You did nothing to deserve it. You might have worked hard. You might have been smart. You might have been obedient. But in the end, what you have, who you are, the blessings that God has put in your life, you could not deserve them on your best day. And any man, any woman, any child who truly understands that the blessing of God is so intense, so large, so weighty, so full of gratitude, it will leave you with one feeling to one feeling only at the end of the day. I'm broken. I can't believe how blessed I am. (laughs) And I know myself better than anyone else on the face of the earth. I actually spend time with myself more than anyone else on the face of the earth. I know what I deserve and what I don't deserve, and what I have, I don't deserve. Now, I've made smart decisions. I've worked hard. I've done what I'm told. I'm blessed. I have favor. I've earned respect. But it in no way, shape, or form adds up to what I have. No. I'm taken. I'm blessed, and I'm ruined. How about you? I'm broken. I'm humbled. You got my attention. He's given me more than I could have in my wildest days with my wildest imagination thought of. I'm broken. Why? So that I and you and Ruth and Boaz can give. A man who's been taken, a woman who's been taken. A man who's been blessed and a woman that's been blessed. A man that's broken and a woman that's broken have finally reached the place where they can truly give. They can truly give. What did Boaz ever give you? What did Ruth ever give you? A story? No, a little bit more than that. What's his name? Jesus Christ. That's it, Jesus Christ. Two strangers reunite in a town called Bethlehem, the house of bread, and in one nocturnal narrative, propose one to the other. One redeems the woman, gives her a sense of purpose, Virtue, security, provision, promise, covenant, togetherness, faithfulness, integrity, and they're in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. If you have trouble giving, you have trouble being taken. You're white knuckling something and you're immovable because he ain't taking you nowhere. If you're not a giver, you don't understand the blessing and the undeservedness of the blessing you have. You actually think you earned it. 
you're not ready yet to be broken. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about wisdom, compliments, love, friendship, intimacy, transparency, vulnerability, things that only come through broken men and women who no longer need a pretense or a mask, no longer need to put on an act, just broken people in the best of ways. Take, bless, break, and give. If you look at our culture, you'll see an absence of a threshing floor. And this is what the fruit of an absence of a threshing floor yields. Uncertainty, confusion, fear, shame, hiding, and dysfunction. People today must come to grips with who they are, the grain. People today must come to grips with who they are not, the chaff. People today must come to grips with whom, to whom they belong. And the need for belonging today is far greater than any other power. Let me say that again. The need to belong in this culture's life is the most intense, most powerful allure in many aspects of our society to remedy a sense of disconnectedness, lack of purpose, lack of mission. People will belong no matter what. If their, their, their appetite for belonging is met, they'll belong to anything for any length of time. Beyond any reasonable explanation, they'll belong. And it ain't the church. It's eating and everything out there. They'll belong. This is a lonely fractured, frenetic, isolated world we live in and people desperately want to belong. There are circles in ministry and there are lines. Lines are things you do not cross. Circles are used to be inclusive to those who are seeking Christ, to bring them in, to include them, to share the gospel. We should, be, we should have circles in every area of our life that brings people into fellowship with us, into uh, business with us, or to do business with us, uh, to, to, to be inclusive, to play golf with, to, to share the gospel. We should, we should not judge anyone out there who truly wants to be included in the kingdom of God. We should have circles, bigger and bigger, that lasso lost people and Bring them in tighter and tighter just to love on them and kiss them on the cheek and give them a hug and restore them and put salve on their wounds. That's, that's what we need. We need more and more circles. But to the extent that a circle causes us to cross a line, that's a problem. And we've got ministers in this country who have over accentuated circles and they're getting close, if not have already crossed a line. 
And that's where we lose ourselves, and we have nothing to give anyone else. Watching TV the other day, which in a way I sort of regret, it just infuriated me. I'm watching grown adults in Dallas, Texas, placing their hope that that afternoon, JFK, resurrected from the dead, will join them in Dallas without the slightest smile on their face, they're truly hoping this comes to pass. This theory that he has been rose from the dead, this is unbelievable. I'll tell you a line I'll not cross. Don't drag my Lord into your theories. Don't drag Jesus Christ into nonsense. Doesn't that boil your blood? Don't mess with my Lord. You don't know who you're messing with. You don't know what you're doing. JFK and Jesus Christ and Donald Trump are gonna meet in Dallas and there's people waiting for that to happen standing there with sandwich boards. That crossed the line for me. Come on. Their need to belong is so intense, so important. Why didn't we put a lasso around these people steeped in idiocy before they ever got involved in this? We could have led them to Christ. I think they're too far gone at this point. Don't allow your faith, your Lord, to be disrespected. Don't do it. Call it out. There has to be lines. You know, when, when that woman was caught in adultery, I get some of my best thoughts when I'm brushing my teeth. I was brushing my teeth this morning, and I go, I saw this picture of Jesus down in the dirt with a woman caught in adultery. And I've often wondered what he's writing in the sand. Well, I'm on my back left molar, and I see him drawing a circle. I get over to the other side, lower left, he's drawing a line. I go, Lord, what, what is that? Son, there's going to be adulterers in this world. People of all kinds of sin, all kinds of confusion, all kinds of despair, all kinds of deception, all kinds of pain. Through the circle, try to include them for however long I can that my people would give them the truth that they would come to me as their Lord. I want them all. The more confused, the better. That's the circle. I said, okay, well, what's the line? I said, yes, sir, what's the line? We can include them, but you gotta tell them, go and sin no more. 
Go and sin no more. You're included, you're loved, you're accepted right where you're at. That's your starting point, but go and sin no more. We have to live in a world, we have to live by a doctrine that, that emphasizes an inclusivity, but also draws a line. If there's no line, we don't know who we are. If there's no inclusivity, we're hypocrites. Because every one of us was just as bad as every one of them. There but for the grace of God go we. Take, bless, break, and give. As the worship team comes up, let's think through some things here, shall we? We need threshing floors in our life. We need people who will plainly speak to us the truth in love, in love, and the truth, so that anything that is hardened on our heart or mind will be left pliable, soft, and workable. We need threshing floors, places of virtue, liberation, freedom from debt, new beginnings, new covenant, new starts. We need all of that. And to whatever extent we're not including others, we need a big, big circle, a big, big lasso. Everyone's included. Everyone's included. Until you cross the line. There it is. Let's pray. Is anyone here, Lord, that needs to be taken out of something? Something or someone needs to be taken from them for the absence of taking. It's putting a wedge between you and them. Let them wrestle with that. Let them wrestle with you over that. But hold them. Hold them in the wrestling. Love them in the wrestling. Deal with them honestly in the wrestling. If there's anyone here who feels they're not worthy of being blessed, worthy of the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Anyone here who does not realize that goodness and mercy are chasing them even today up this hill into this sanctuary and will be chasing them down this hill when they leave. Anyone who does not feel as though you are adequately pursuing them with blessing after blessing after blessing, wrestle with them, hold them, embrace them, Bring a change of heart. Anyone here who does not feel worthy of the blessing you've given them to the extent they don't want you to be who you are and they don't want to be in the relationship with you as you see them, humble them. Humble them. Wrestle with them if necessary. Hold them. Embrace them. But wrestle that out of them. We pray for humility. Humility. 
transparency and vulnerability. And anyone here who doesn't feel they have anything to give, oh God, we have you. We have you. How could we not give you hope to other people, insight, love, grace, forgiveness, redemption, the gospel? The list goes on. Take, bless, break, and give. Do in us what we cannot do for ourselves and keep the threshing process going, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, everyone said, amen.